from the host that brought you to Coding Westworld. And Westworld the Recapables. Comes the Ringer Prestige TV podcast on Westworld. I'm Joanna Robinson. I'm Danny Heifetz. And I'm David Shoemaker. Welcome to Westworld Season 4 and the Prestige TV podcast feed, where we're going to break down every episode of Westworld Season 4. Every Monday, the day after the show comes out on the Prestige TV podcast feed. Wherever you get your podcasts, but get them on Spotify. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com slash FYC. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. All right, it is Monday, July 18th. Hope you had a nice weekend. If you noticed, this past weekend, there was a $200 million movie in theaters. Well, only 450 theaters, a fraction of the typical blockbuster. It was called The Gray Man, and it was directed by the Russo brothers of Avengers fame and starring Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. How did it do? We have no idea. Netflix does not release numbers, and it was released by Netflix. It'll be on the service worldwide in a few days. And this isn't the first blockbuster-style movie that Netflix has released this way. If you remember back last year, there was Red Notice with The Rock and Gal Gadot, Michael Bay's Six Underground, Sean Levy's The Adam Project with Ryan Reynolds, Extraction with Chris Hemsworth. These movies you might call mockbusters, as one writer at Forbes recently did. They're designed to be like big budget theatrical tentpole movies, but they're for the most part for Netflix. The LA Times called Red Notice a limp imitation blockbuster. And the reviews, for the most part, have not been kind, although we'll get into it today as to whether Netflix movies are better, worse, or about the same as movies from other companies. But from a business perspective, it's interesting what Netflix is doing in the movie space. Netflix, in the last year or so, has pivoted of sorts. They were in the volume business. They were trying to make as much as they could, as fast as they could, and the film chief, Scott Stuber, basically said as much. They had 70 movies in 2021. They had over 100 or are going to have over 100 this year. But they've basically said that they're going to try to make fewer and better and more targeted movies in the future. The Gray Man is one of them. They think that they can make a big impact and they're putting a marketing spend behind it that they usually don't do at Netflix, at least not until now. So today we're going to get into the Netflix movie strategy, how it works from a business perspective, and what they need to do to be competitive. Because right now, Netflix is under fire, and they've got to justify all that spending, got to build up subscribers, and reverse the turn that they've recently suffered. I have Bloomberg's Lucas Shaw on the show today, and we're going to discuss all things Netflix film. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw of Bloomberg. Lucas, you have seen The Gray Man in all its glory. 
it's pretty clear that Netflix, which got into the movie business a few years ago with basically taking any project that was passed on by a big movie studio or a pet project that a director couldn't get made anywhere else. And they are now in a new phase of movies where they are from time to time dropping big money on big stars and big directors with mixed results. What, what is your, what's your take on the Netflix movie strategy right now? They're trying to go from sort of the, the, their take on it is they're trying to go from kind of the quantity to quality. Um, and I do, I, I do buy into that because if you just look at the steady escalation in volume that they had, they made two movies in 2015. They made 17 or so in 2016. And then it went up where now they're making, you know, started making dozens. Now they make more than 100 movies a year. And so it just feels like this fire hose. The whole time it's felt like there are so many different movies. I don't know what most of them are. I don't know who's in any of them. And then sprinkled within that, like kind of one once a month, there's something that people probably should see or, or is at least interesting enough that you want to carve out some time and watch. And, and they need that to get to a point where instead of, you know, one for four or five, like every other one, or at least one out of every two or three is, is pretty good. Um, so it's a quality issue. I mean, we, yeah. people in Hollywood, the reason people in Hollywood kind of sniff their noses at Netflix is because it's impossible to have any kind of quality control at that volume. It just is. Movies are actually really hard to make. And you can hire a bunch of staff. They have a ton of executives. But the conveyor belt was such that you can tell when you watch these movies, some of them just aren't quite there. They're not getting that love that you need to make a movie that is theatrical. Well, that I don't even think it matters whether it's theatrical. I just... They they make movies that feel like slightly poorer imitations of something you have otherwise seen, right? Like Red Notice had had all the star power of this big glitzy Hollywood action comedy, and it didn't really have the heart or story that made anybody care about it. Or they have these these big action movies, which have been sort of their their bread and butter, at least from a, a success standpoint over the last year. And they're fun to watch. And some of the action scenes are like perfectly orchestrated, but the story's not good enough. Like the, it just feels like you're watching one fight after another. And I, I think you're right that when you're operating at that quantity, it's very hard to maintain the level of quality. And so I've heard people, I've had people like kind of very senior people in Hollywood tell me they don't think Netflix has made any good movies. That's that's bullshit. That's not oh, true. That's they not have, true. I mean, they I made I, a bunch I, of good ones. It, it just we are not critics, but just looking at the Rotten Tomatoes, I've looked at you know the the old guard, the Charlize Theron movie that got eighty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, The Irishman was controversial, but people did like it. It got nominated for a bunch of Oscars. Like there are good movies on Netflix. They've made very good. They they like revived the romantic comedy for a period there. I'm a sucker for that types of movie. That type of movie. So they had some there that were really good. They make the you know the Oscar bait every year, and it's not always my favorite, but they they sometimes do have two or three really good movies. They've got some good international movies, but then there's like 20, 40, 50 movies that are just not very good. And you look at the descriptions on the top 10 and you're like, what the hell? Like, how how did this happen? Um, first of all, let's stop for a second. You're a rom-com guy? Didn't know that. That's Yeah, I love rom-coms. Really? Oh, wouldn't have guessed that. All right, so <laughs> they pivoted. I have, a, I, have a, I have a question for you, though. Yeah. I was looking at their movie release schedule earlier today and go back to 2017, which was the first year where they had a movie that they released basically every week. 
Can we? Can I just go down and you tell me the first one that you actually have heard of or watched? Oh, good exercise. January 2017, they release a movie called Coin Heist. <laughs> that sounds like a that sounds like a, a a game you'd play on your phone. Clinical. No. Take the ten. No. I boy. No. Imperial Dreams. No. Girlfriend's Day. No. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. <laughs> no. That's clearly some Netflix <laughs> development executive. A call, a call for help. Uh, Burning Sands. No. Deidre and Lainey rob a train. <laughs> no. The Most Hated Woman in America. No. Is that a documentary? It's a biopic. Of who? Madeline Murray O'Hare. Never heard of her. All right, keep going. The Discovery. No. All right, you made your point. Yeah. These are that all... Was, that was January through March. They released a movie almost every week. I had heard of Imperial Dreams. I think it was at Sundance that year, and I had heard of The Discovery. But everything else in there, we were about to get to an Adam Sandler movie, and that was like one of the first big deals that they did. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's been rough. So they were basically just making whatever they could. And Scott Stuber, who's been there several years now, he has been very public in the New York Times and elsewhere saying that they are not just a volume play anymore, that they are trying to be more targeted. He got a, he got a little bit of shit within Hollywood for this quote that he gave the New York Times last fall. He said, if you have the budget to make 14 movies and you only have 11 great ones, let's just make 11. Which... A lot of people said, oh, great. So Scott is just going to make the good movies if we had only thought of that. But well, I think what he's saying is those movies you mentioned that don't make any impact and nobody can remember 10 minutes after they watch them, that's not what he wants to do. He wants to do more movies like The Gray Man, which is getting a real release. They're doing a full worldwide press tour. They're actually spending money to market the title individually, which for Netflix, you'd think that would be a normal thing, but it's actually not. They don't actually spend money to market individual titles very much, and they're doing that on this one. You wrote a little bit about that this week. Is that going to be something we're going to see more often now, Netflix putting money behind individual movies? Yeah, they've started to do it more. I mean, if you look just in the last month, I think they bought national TV spots, which is one sign that they're marketing it for three or four different movies. They bought it for Hustle, which was the the um, the Adam Sandler movie that LeBron produced. They did it for Sea Beast, this animated movie. There was one other that I'm forgetting, and The Gray Man. I think, look, the film team at Netflix in particular, and not just them, really, the programming team across the company wants to market their titles more. The marketing team would like to market everything more. It's really at the top. My sense is it's at the top of the company. There's always been this aversion to doing it because the whole game has been, we have the captive audience Let's just feed them what they need from that using the algorithm. And that doesn't work in movies. It really doesn't. I think mean, the evidence shows that Netflix has a brand problem when it comes to movies, in part because there's a perception that the movies are not as good as the theatrical ones. But I think it's because they don't create events around these movies. You look at the way that these theatrical movies are marketed, that's where the awareness and the impact comes from. It's not that these movies are that much better, although many of them are, or they have elements that are designed to be theatrical and thus a little bit more populist. But it's that the, the these movies get theatrical marketing campaigns. And if Netflix starts to do that, I think they will start to see a little bit more resonance with their titles. And it could lead to 
it playing them playing theatrically. I mean, that's one of the big holdups in their conversations with theater chains is that Netflix doesn't want, can't, won't commit to marketing the movies. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Do you think, I mean, we see Netflix have limited releases for these movies. They can't play them in the big theater chains because they don't adhere to some kind of a window, an exclusive window, although that's interesting because the traditional studios are increasingly bypassing that traditional window as well. But Netflix cannot get deals with these big theater chains to show the movies. So they end up putting it in like 400, 500 theaters. They don't release box office numbers. So we have no idea how Gray Man did in theaters last weekend. I talked to one source uh, close to the Cinemark chain who said it did not do very much business, which is interesting because you'd think that even though it's going to play in a week on Netflix, there still will be a theatrical audience for Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans, but they don't have that. And they don't seem to be willing to give that window that might generate some attention in theaters before going to Netflix. Do you think that'll change? Well, it's interesting that you say that on the gray man. Cause when I was driving to the, to the premiere for that movie last week, there's three or four billboards for it on, on sunset Sunset Boulevard in in LA, and I noticed that I spent on one of the biggest ones. There were two dates for the movie's release. The big one was July twenty second, which is the release on Netflix, and then the one for theaters was much much smaller. And so it doesn't feel to me like Netflix or anyone involved in this is trying to push people to theaters. They just want to make people aware of the title, and they'd rather them watch it on Netflix. And I think that is in a roundabout way of giving my answer to to the question, because it doesn't seem like they're committed to the idea yet, right? Like there are a lot, there are some people at Netflix who want to put their movies in theaters. They want to market them. The windowing issue should not be an issue anymore. As you noted, all these other studios are, do, are basically doing the same thing. Um, and it just requires the company to believe that there is value in putting the movie in theaters financially, in terms of marketing, and that it's not going to make their users feel like Netflix is not worth the value. Right, exactly. And I think that's where the hangup is, is that they are so focused on the user value proposition for Netflix that they feel that if you give these movies, let's say, a 30-day theatrical window, that the user of Netflix won't like that. And I, I tend to disagree. We've seen example after example of movies that are huge on streaming after their short theatrical window. Look what happened with Encanto for Disney. It made $200 million worldwide in theaters, then goes on Disney Plus and becomes gigantic on Disney Plus. And we just saw the first half of the year, the two biggest things on streaming for music were the Encanto soundtrack and we don't talk about Bruno, the song. So I think there is a way to do this, but Netflix has to want to do it. And I wonder if the financial pressures that they are experiencing right now with the stock price and with some of the layoffs they've had and the ad tier that is coming to the service, if maybe they would explore theatrical distribution as a revenue generator. It seems like a bit of a no-brainer when you have movies at the scale of The Gray Man, Red Notice, Old Guard, which you referenced. They have the sequel to Knives Out coming out later this year, which made, what was it, $400 million or something in theaters. There's no reason. Also, just the the, the success Netflix has had with some of the output deals they've done, the, that Disney deal that gave them a bunch of the Star Wars and Marvel movies. They've now got a new Sony deal that's going to give them future Spider-Man. And those there's, there's a huge audience for them. There's a reason Netflix is willing to pay hundreds of millions of dollars for those rights. So why not put your biggest movie in theaters for... A month 
And then people who don't want to go to theaters or who want to watch it again will watch it on Netflix. I think that would be a huge benefit to them. But, you know, there are costs associated with releasing in theaters. And I think there is also some reluctance to dive into that theatrical distribution business in a bigger way because you have to be you're all of a sudden susceptible to the whims of the audience and you can have flops. We would know if there was a movie in theaters for a month, we would probably know if it was a flop. Of the three streaming services, Netflix, Amazon, or of the three kind of big streaming services that don't have a traditional movie studio, Netflix, Amazon, and Apple, which one of them do you think will have the biggest theatrical slate in the next year? It's funny you say that because I know Apple has been making some deals lately, specifically on the Formula One movie with Brad Pitt, that does require a certain theatrical window. And that was a filmmaker request where they had offers all over town and Apple won the movie by saying, yes, we'll do a great deal for you for the service, but we'll also put it in theaters and give us a run there. That's important to a lot of filmmakers, stars, talent. And Netflix has so far, they say they're trying to do that. I know they tried on The Irishman and the theater owners just put up the kibosh, but I think that Apple is being willing to spend the money and make the deals to do that. They seem to have an inside track. Amazon used to do that. And it seems now they are going the opposite direction with some of these bigger movies, like with Borat, like with uh, the Coming to America movie. And that was those were pandemic era movies. But it seems like they are trying to keep everything within their ecosystem. It'll be interesting to see what Amazon does with the MGM movies now that it owns MGM. Will it try to give those MGM movies theatrical releases before putting them on Prime? Or will it just become a servicer to the Prime Video service? They've said the right things around that. About, uh, about They've said they want to release those movies in theaters. Uh, but... But the proof will be in the pudding. Um, and I do think that some of the reluctance on the part of the streaming services to this point has been the uncertainty in theatrical over the last couple of years. But the theaters are now in a position where they they want as many titles as they can get. Do you agree ultimately with the statement many people make that the Netflix movies are not as good as the movies that run in theaters? <laughs> I, I, I know good is a subjective word. I think that the Netflix probably releases more forgettable movies than your average studio. But I think if you were to take, say, the best 20 Netflix movies in any given year and compare because that's what a tradition like closer to what a traditional studio would release and compare them, I think it's pretty comparable, especially because traditional studios release plenty of bad movies and plenty of good. Um, the difference is just in the volume. I think Netflix releases probably 15 or 20 pretty solid movies every year. Um, and we just discount them because of, of everything else. Right. The garbage that comes into the top 10, which I guess maybe if it's in the top 10, it's not garbage, but that's the eternal question. Like, like hustle was one of hustle was one of the better movies that I've seen this summer. The gray man is a very solid action movie. Is it like a great one? Is it one I'm going to rave about to everyone probably not but it's really enjoyable it'll play well and it'll be huge on netflix yeah guaranteed it'll be huge on netflix that gets to the the overarching question here which we're coming up on the netflix earnings reveal which is tomorrow and you know 
the widespread speculation is that Netflix is going to lose subscribers for the second quarter in a row. How much they lose is up to, you know, is, is still an open question. Some say 2 million, some say 2.8, some say less than that. Some think that this is all an elaborate game to get us to lower our expectations so that if they break even with subscribers, everyone's going to start cheering. Um, I tend to think that they will lose subscribers despite having Stranger Things. You wrote about that this weekend, about how Stranger Things has performed better than people expected. I want to get to the movie question. Is there evidence that big movies move the needle for Netflix subscribers more, less, or about the same as big series? I think movies tend to to have less impact except for a handful of really huge titles. Like I think Don't Look Up, up for, for Netflix in, in December moved the needle. Uh, I, I don't know that a movie like Red Notice does. Some of those action movies like Extraction, I think they 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 really help. But the, the problem for, for Netflix relative to a TV show is they're not as long, so they're not keeping you engaged for as long. And, and people just aren't as aware of them. Um, and so I, I don't I don't think you've seen the kind of the same impact quarter to quarter, but I would really have to go and look at at the data from some of those kind of third party firms about where you see spikes and signups and and all that. You know, because that was always the secret of HBO. I remember them giving a presentation where everybody writes about the original series and they get so much acclaim for that. But it was the bread and butter Saturday night movies that did the most audience and had the highest ratings for HBO. Uh, but those were all movies that were coming from theaters and had the pre-branded awareness of, oh, this movie was in theaters, you know, six months ago. Now it's on HBO. Netflix doesn't have that. They have to create the awareness or they have to, you know, have an algorithm so good that it knows exactly what you want when you want it. But I, I also think as time went on for HBO, there was a t- there was a, a point in HBO's history where those movies brought people in the door. As it went on, it was a way of stopping people from canceling, right? Like people came in to watch The Sopranos or came in to watch Sex in the City or whatever the original Game of Thrones, the original series, and the movies gave them reason to something to watch on a Saturday night and a reason to never cancel it in between shows. Mm-hmm. And Netflix definitely had that advantage, not just with movies, but with licensing TV from all these other studios. And one of the challenges for them is as every other company has pulled their library back, like the Netflix movie library just isn't that good, which is another reason why I think they've gone for the volume approach. They felt like they had to you know, fill it with all these titles they weren't getting licensed anymore. But if you make a movie that people don't watch when it first comes out. It's not a super valuable library title. I'd love to know how many people have watched Top Gun in the last two months. The original Top Gun. They were yeah. smart. They got it. They got it. You know, it's not exclusive. It's on other services, but they got it because they knew the demand for Top Gun was going to be gigantic thanks to the sequel. Although it, to your point, I guess, wouldn't we have, if that many people watched it, it probably would have popped up in one of those top 10 lists that either they or Nielsen put out? Maybe. Yeah, it hasn't yet. Amazingly, that Melissa McCarthy awful TV show was in the top 10 of Nielsen. I couldn't believe that. I didn't watch it, didn't know much about it. I think the, the, my exposure to it was, was you snarking on it once or twice in your newsletter. Yeah. If, if, <laughs> if her husband is involved, pass. Not for me. Uh, she's great. Her, her husband is not. All right. Thank you, Lucas. Appreciate you coming on. We'll see what the Netflix earnings are tomorrow. Thanks, Matt. All right, we are back with the call sheet, my daily prediction. Because the Netflix earnings are coming out tomorrow and every outlet seems to be 
preparing for this, like it's the second coming, myself included. You know, it really is a important moment in the history of Netflix. They had a subscriber loss last quarter. They projected that they are going to lose 2 million subscribers worldwide. This quarter, the performance of Stranger Things has been above what they expected at Netflix. So the question is, is Netflix, when they reveal earnings on Tuesday, going to lose subscribers, gain subscribers, or stay about the same? And my prediction is it's going to lose subscribers, but less than they projected. I'm going to go for a million. Is that kind of a pseudo way of predicting that Netflix's stock will not continue to crash and will perhaps tick up? We don't know because it, in for the stock market, it's all about the projection for the next quarter. Netflix tanked last quarter, not just because they lost subscribers, but because they projected that they were going to lose more. The stock market is all about predicting what's coming. So let's say Netflix, you know, the lowered expectations are out there now. Let's say they beat those lowered expectations. Great, fine. But it's all about what they say for next quarter. They say, oh crap, we're going to lose 5 million subscribers next quarter. The stock will go down even more. If they say, hey, things seem to be turning around for us and we're going to predict that we're going to stay even or even gain next quarter, then that's a signal to the market that maybe things are going to be better. What's your thought on that? What do you think is going to happen there? I think that they're going to project a, another loss. I mean, they they will not have Stranger Things. They do have some stuff coming. They have a new season of The Crown later this year. They've got the Knives Out sequel. Is Knives Out going to be in theaters at all, or is that strictly Netflix? Um, they have not said what the theatrical component is going to be for Knives Out. And we do know it's going to the Toronto Film Festival, where the original Knives Out premiered. And I would not be surprised if they did a theatrical element for this, considering it is a theatrical franchise that they're taking over, but they haven't said exactly what they're doing. But I think that's going to be huge. I mean, that that is a movie that most people saw and I think would be interested to see Daniel Craig back with another all-star cast. Agree. I love that movie. And it's fun that an original movie took off like it did. Do you have a Netflix prediction? Do you think that they're lowballing here to on the projections to try to get people to uh, not expect much? And then they come in and they say, hey, we're we're breaking even. I kind of do. I don't know if it's the Rich Greenfield in me, but I'm a little bit bullish on Netflix right now. So I, I'm kind of predicting a positive uh, day for them tomorrow. Yeah, Rich got a little bit of shit from people who emailed me this weekend saying he, you know, he was on the show <laughs> on Friday talking about how Netflix is the only company that makes money in streaming, which is accurate. But there are all these competitors that have other businesses like Disney with theme parks and Warner Brothers Discovery with the HBO TV business that have cushions for them to support this streaming pivot that they're all doing. Um, and he was minimizing that a little bit. But but Rich made some good points about the fact that, A, Netflix has figured out how to do this in a way that makes money. And they have those 220 million subscribers that others would kill for. And they have this ad tier coming, which the demand for ads on Netflix is going to be huge when they can finally offer that to ad buyers. All right, that is the show for today. I want to thank Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg for coming on, producer Craig Horbeck, and I want to thank you. We'll see you later this week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.